The following sermon is from the archives of Dr. Stephen Olford. It was preached during his distinguished ministry at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Continuing the series God's Answer to the Burning Issues of Today, our sermon God's Answer to a Life of Carelessness, Numbers 32-23. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford. Let us bow together in prayer. Precious Lord, we pray thee, by thy Holy Spirit, reveal to us the meaning of Calvary. Thou hast taught us in thy word that to the Greek it is foolishness, to the Jew it is a scandal, an offense. But to those who believe it is both the wisdom and the power of God. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are being saved. It is the very dynamic of God. Bring us then, we pray thee, to the heart that was broken for us, to the foot of the cross, and grant that there tonight many here may find cleansing, forgiveness, deliverance, and life. So speak in the stillness of these closing moments to our waiting hearts that make the word live. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> for the sake of so many of our visiting friends and guests here tonight, I'd like to just say that we have been pursuing a series of messages in these evening services entitled God's Answer to the Burning Issues of Today. The Bible Speaks Today. And many of these issues we've looked at in the light of the Word of God. Tonight we're taking up a theme which isn't popular, but to which we must speak if we dare not to shun the whole counsel of God. God's answer to a life of carelessness. The historian Toynbee points out in his analysis of history that whenever a country comes to the place of carelessness, it's on the brink of doom. He gives five reasons for this that are generally known to those who've read Toynbee at all. And the more I've analyzed what he has to say, the more I find it fitting the very pattern of what Paul has to say in his second epistle to Timothy, the very last letter he ever wrote to that young evangelist and preacher at the church at Ephesus. You remember he said this, know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, in fact to all authority we would say here today, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. In Paul's own analysis of the depravity of man, in Romans chapter 1, he concludes with this tremendous climax, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And it reminds me of the young fellow who was being interviewed just recently, who when challenged concerning what was happening in the world today, and particularly in this country, and particularly in his own school, he looked at the commentator and he said, I couldn't care less. A life of carelessness, so common throughout our land today. What has God got to say to that? I won't labor it any further because we're all aware of this. We sense it in every strata of society. It's not only in the church, it's in the home. It's not only in the home, it's in the state. Not only in the state, but at the, wor the world at large. The spirit of utter carelessness. I ask again, what does God have to say to this? 
In the context of that scripture which was read to us a little earlier, I want to take an Old Testament verse, and we start there and expound it within that context, and even to further ramifications. In Numbers 32 and verse 23, we read these words, But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And be sure your sin will find you out. To me, that's the supreme answer of God to a life of carelessness. Be sure your sin will find you out. It does not matter how man may try to camouflage, rationalize, avoid or evade the thrust of God's word. There is one infallible detective, and God traces that detective to the verse I have quoted to you. Be sure your sin will find you out. And there are three reasons why your sin will find you out. First of all, because of the inward experience of sin. The inward experience of sin. We had read to us tonight, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Literally, that is, for all have consciously sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right down through the ages, this consciousness of falling short of God's best, God's standard, God's absolute standard, has been the cry of the human heart. Job says, behold, I am vile. He's looked into the mirror of his own heart, and he's seen the blackness and depravity and sinfulness of his own being against the background of the holy light of God. And he says, Behold, I am vile. I am like a man covered with leprosy from my head to my feet. We turn over the pages of Scripture and we come to another cry. It's another man who's seen the glory of God, the king high and lifted up. And he senses his own depravity and he says, Woe is unto me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. It's Isaiah crying the cry of the leper. We turn over the pages of Scripture, we come into the New Testament, and in one flash moment, Peter on that beach, that memorable day, saw a flash of the very divinity and deity of our Lord. And in the glory of that moment, he saw the depravity of his own heart, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That great intellect of the first century, one of the men who strides the centuries with his wisdom, insight, and spirituality was the Apostle Paul. But when God broke through into that proud heart of his and revealed to him the nature of his own being, he cried, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm a wretched man. There's only one hope. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we leave Scripture for a moment and go into secular literature, it's the same story. Horace, the Roman poet, says, I see and approve the good, but invariably I follow the worse. Cicero, the Roman statesman, says, God has given us knowledge, but we pervert it by our many immoralities. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, says, We are wicked. What we blame in others, each will find in his own bosom. Voltaire, the French infidel, cried, There is more misery in man than in all the animals. Professor Jolt, 
who eventually came to an encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his atheistic outlook and made him a man who rocked England shortly after the war, said, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I deduce from my many omissions and commissions that I am a most miserable sinner. And he had read, he had written three volumes to explain away the notion of sin. Sigmund Freud came to the point in his life when he said, original sin is a fact. And psychoanalysis has now revealed in the subconscious mind of man a whole world of rottenness, villainy, and sin. Whatever man has found, if he's honest with himself, he knows that he has consciously fallen short of the standard that God has placed before men. Whether that standard is what he sees reflected in the beauty and wonder of creation, whether that standard is the conscience, that monitor that God has placed within his own being that compels a belief in God without arguing, which either excuses or accuses him, or the standard we know as revealed in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal word that we have before us tonight. The inward experience of sin. Man has consciously sinned. Be sure your sin will find you out. But more than that, man has continually sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we read rather hurriedly. But the text really is, for all are continuing to sin and coming short of the glory of God. When God looked down from heaven on that horrible scene before the great flood that swept the thousands into a lost eternity, he saw the imagination of every thought of the heart of man, that it was wicked and sinful and evil only continually. And there isn't a man in this place here tonight, there isn't a woman in this place here tonight who doesn't know consciously what it is to fall short of the glory of God and continually to do so. But for the grace of God, the God that you have embraced in Jesus Christ, you'd be utterly and completely lost. And if you haven't embraced him, if he isn't yours tonight, if you haven't bowed at Calvary, you know that this is a constant, constant failure in your life. This matter of maintaining the standard that God has set for man. But to me, the whole serious aspect of this inward experience of sin is not only that man consciously sins, continually sins, but supremely because he culpably sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God. When man falls short of the glory of God, he's filled with guilt. And so he should be. Professor Emil Brunner says... This matter of sin is a matter of radical evil. Sin is not the confrontation of an impersonal law. Sin is the confrontation of the will of a divine creator. When man sins, he sins primarily against God. That's the meaning of David's great cry in the penitential psalm when he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And I care not who you are, my friend. I cannot how you may try to rationalize it. You know that deep down in your soul, you've not only consciously sinned, continually sinned, but culpably sinned. And there is that guilt in your soul. And one of the greatest expressions of rationalization of this we call the consciousness of sin is when a man says, I couldn't care less, and grins and makes a mock of sin. 
During my ministry in the British Isles, it was my duty many times to visit the prisons of our country. Time and time again, I've been into death row, and I've talked to criminals and convicts, men who were absolutely sunken in sin, men who somehow or other didn't seem to have any sensitivity left. And yet, you know, I never met a man, I never met a man right at the very depths of sin and depravity who didn't have that sense of guilt. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. How? By the inward experience of sin. But God's answer to a life of carelessness is not only the inward experience of sin, for when God withdraws until the day of judgment and gives men up to vile affections, to do those things which are not convenient, to the reprobate mind, God have mercy upon an individual, God have mercy upon a nation. For sin not only finds men out by the inward experience, sin finds men and women out by the irresistible effects. Not only the inward experience of sin, but the irresistible effects of sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Some men's sins go before to judgment. Other men's sin they follow after. And there are irresistible effects that can be found anywhere if you look for them. Anywhere. If you have the eyes to see them. There is the irresistible effects, first of all, of spoiled characters. Of spoiled characters. I wonder how many people here in this place tonight would do anything, would do anything, and yet I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the greatest thing, but do anything to have their characters cleansed of those marks, those defiling marks of sin. The Bible says, whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. And Jesus spoke those words, whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. And every slave has his marks. There are marks on the religious slave. There are marks on the profligate slave. There are marks on the depraved slave. But there are marks on every sinner. Every sinner. Whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. And as C.H. Spurgeon once put it, sin in Saturn is as great a rebel as sin in rags. And it doesn't matter how well you're dressed. I don't care how refined your language. I don't care what your training. There are marks upon that life of yours if you've never been cleansed from sin. I'll never forget hearing Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of our greatest English preachers in London, telling the testimony of what God did in his life and how he was sent from Harley Street as one of the greatest heart specialists down to Port Rush or down to South Wales as a preacher. Yes, Harley Street. Anyone who knows the medical world will know that Harley Street stands as a symbol for the highest in medicine. He was a heart specialist. In fact, we learned later that he'd actually waited on royalty. A man set for the zenith. And indeed it reached it. But in that testimony of his, as he read his Bible, as he studied the Puritans, as he got to grips with the truth of God's word, and as he worked each day, he looked into the haggard faces of the high and rich and wealthy who came in time after time to be treated. He gave them what he felt was the answer to their lives, only to see them return again and again, broken and beaten and defiled. And he knew that with all the wisdom that medicine had given him, with all the art that he had acquired, 
By practice, he couldn't answer the basic problem of these intelligent people who poured their money into his office in order to be rid of that which was gnawing at the very heart of their lives. And he said, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot stay any longer. There is only one answer to broken humanity. It's the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And he left Harley Street for Port Talbot in South Wales. Spoiled characters. I wonder how many of you here would give anything, I repeat, to have that mark upon your character removed tonight. Nobody else knows about it, but God does. And you, spoiled characters, the irresistible effects of sin. And not only spoiled characters, but the irresistible effect of sins and soiled consciences. Yes, more than that, seared consciences. The Bible speaks of a conscience cauterized, seared as with a hot iron. A conscience cauterized or seared with a hot iron. A conscience rendered inoperative. No longer sensitive. And I repeat what I say. I repeat that when a man mocks at sin, when a man fools about these eternal issues of which I'm speaking, that man is giving evidence of the fact that he has sinned until that conscience of his has been seared as with a hot iron. I wonder how many have come to a gospel meeting like this again and again and again, and you've heard the message of the gospel, whether presented positively in all the wonderful joy of what Jesus Christ can do in your life, if only you'll let him in. Or you've heard the warning notes, the warning notes as tonight, and somehow or other it hasn't registered at all. You shrugged your shoulders and you've gone out. God have mercy on anyone like that here tonight. I remember a friend of mine telling the story of an alcoholic, a wealthy alcoholic, and most of them are, to start with, who lived in a little apartment in the city of London. And some of his drinking pals knew how wealthy he was and waited their opportunity to plunder his house. He lived alone, except for a very faithful dog. And one night as he came home, drunk as usual, he threw himself down undressed on his bed to sleep, and the dog began to bark, and continued to bark, and in spite of his stupor, he heard this bark, and it disturbed him, and eventually it annoyed him. Walking across his bedroom into the outer room, he saw his faithful dog there barking at the window, barking at the door. He picked up a chair, and in a moment of fury, he threw that chair at his faithful dog and killed him on the spot. No more bark, and he went fast asleep in his stupor. Next morning, bleary-eyed, heavy-headed, he pulled himself together to discover that his house had been plundered Everything, everything of value had been taken. When a man's conscience ceases to bark, when a man's conscience has been seared as with a hot iron, the life is left open to the powers of darkness. And my friend, I don't care who you are, if you're saved tonight or you go out unsaved, I want to tell you something. You thank God that you have a sensitive conscience if you do. You thank God that you get worried and concerned about sin in your life, if you do. Because I want to tell you, as long as that dog is barking, there's hope for you. But the day you don't blush with shame, the day you don't sense the guilt of sin, the day you don't recognize that you are falling short of God's demands, hell has opened the door to your life. Be sure your sin will find you out. The irresistible effects of sin, then, 
on already spoiled characters and seared consciences, the irresistible effects of sin are revealed in what I'm going to call your social contacts. Show me your friends, and I'll tell you what your character is like. For now man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. And I want to tell you, if you haven't a concern for your own soul, for God's sake, have a concern for those you touch, because every day of your life, you're either driving people heavenward, or driving people hellward. You cannot be neutral. You can't be an onlooker. You are not detached from society. You are part of society, and you are affecting other people. Big brother leads little brother astray. Older sister leads younger sister astray. A man teaches his colleague to take the first drink. A woman teaches her so-called friend to swear. And so it happens. We affect the people around us. We influence them. And if we have any qualities of leadership, if we have the powers of penetration, then we are more responsible and accountable by reason of the fact that we're making such impacts upon other people's lives. The irresistible effects of sin. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I say you can fool around with other people. You can sin with them. You can hide it. Yes, you can cover it up, you can talk it away, but God will see to it that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. A dear friend of mine who's a surgeon in Bristol, England, tells a story of a young doctor who finished at Cambridge, having taken his medical degree, a brilliant young man, with all before him, the great horizons of the medical world rising up before him, desiring to do some practice for a time and then going back into research, he had such a brain, but his father suddenly passed away, and he became inheritor to a great, a great practice with goodwill all over the country. And with tremendous enterprise, he entered into this practice, became popular at once, father's son, of course, and he was doing a great job, a famous job. And then one day, he became aware of something wrong with his eyes. He somehow just couldn't see, and they got worse. He went to see an oculist, and that didn't help him much. And examining a patient... He noticed that he just couldn't see even the patient's name on the card. He became worried, and he went to my friend for a medical examination. And after a long and thorough examination that lasted for several days, with tests from the hospital and so forth, my friend looked into this young man's face and said, Let me ask you a question, my friend. Let me ask you a question. Was there ever a time at Cambridge, was there ever a time in your student life when you sowed your wild oats and you said you couldn't hear this. He blushed. He said, yes, sir, I do remember. He said, you're paying the price and I can't do anything for you. It'll have to run its course. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The irresistible effects of sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. God's answer to a life of carelessness. But my friends, with a deep, deep sense of burden, I carry in preaching such a message like this. I haven't said the last word until I add one other tremendous evidence of God's infallible detective. God has declared the wage is a sinner's death. He made that law. So when men grasp at sin, God says, very well, I'll let that very law break you. For the wage is a sinner's death. Sin will find you out not only by its inward experience, not only by its irresistible effects, but ultimately and finally by its inevitable exposure. God requireth that which is past, says the Bible. 
Be sure your sin will find you out, and it doesn't matter how I try to hide my sin by religiosity, by some kind of education, by some kind of refinement, by anything, self-righteousness, call it what you will. There is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed, nothing covered that shall not be made known, for all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Be sure your sin will find you out. I want to say God's going to find out exact, exact what your sins have wrought in you in a day to come. You say, how? Because that inevitable exposure of which we're speaking is going to make manifest, first of all, man's words. Yes, man's words. Listen, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof at the day of judgment, said our Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, incarnate love, said every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof at the day of judgment. Now, 50 years ago, you might have stood to your feet and said, I dispute that. How could it ever be recalled? You can't say that anymore. Everything I'm saying on this program tonight is being recorded. It wasn't so very long ago that my wife and I went to a home of a friend who threw a little party for a number of us. It was at the end of a crusade, and we laughed, and we talked, and we told stories, and we shared in an evening of fun and relaxation. And then, with a little flourish, our host stood, and he said, I hope you won't think me very naughty, but you know, I'd like to pay, play you back a program. And to our utter surprise, he turned a switch, and we heard every chink, every laugh, every word, every story. It had all been recorded. Sitting right there like a flower pot on the table was a microphone. And if mere puny man can do that, what of an omniscient God? Every idle word that man shall speak, he shall give an account the day of judgment. But not only will be manifest man's words, but man's works. Every man shall be judged according to his works, says the last book of the Bible. Someone has said, as a tree falls, so it lies. As a man lives, so he dies. And you think that you're going to get rid of it by suicide? Oh, no. When you cross the river of death? Oh, no. For every man shall be judged by his works in that day. I know a man who had the most narrow escape in the jungles of Central Africa during my young days. He was hunting for gazelle, and he roused and furiously roused one of the most poisonous snakes in the forests of Africa. He knew there was only one hope, and that was to shoot fast and to kill on the spot. But to his horror, his magazine was jammed. He could do nothing about it. There were only two ways he could escape. One was to climb a tree, but he knew that the snake was just as capable of climbing a tree. The other was to make for the river, and he made for the river, and plunged in gun and all, and swam as fast as he could to the far shore. But as he emerged on the far shore, the snake was after him. And only by a miracle of God's intervention was that man saved. But I've never forgotten that story. Some of us think that we're going to escape. We're going to escape from our works. But we'll find that as we plunge into the waters of death and we think we're away from this life, we've annihilated ourselves. We emerge on resurrection shore to find our works following us, standing up to accuse us before Almighty God. In that day, not only will our words and works be manifested, but the Bible teaches that in that day, not only man's words and works, but man's wants. For the Bible says we shall be found wanting, weighed in the balances, 
and found wanting. One thing thou lackest, said the Lord Jesus, to a young man who lacked a living, saving relationship to Jesus Christ. And what was lacking? His name was found wanting in the Lamb's book of life. And whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in heaven, my friend? Do you rejoice tonight because your name is in the Lamb's book of life? I beg of you in the Savior's name, I beg of you with a heart that burns to see every single uncommitted man, woman, and child in this place tonight. Only say, by the grace of God, I plead with you, my friend, that you don't go out of this place saying, I couldn't care less. Why? Because, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Not only by the inward experience of sin, now, the irresistible effects of sin in days to come, but the inevitable exposure of sin as you stand before the throne of God. Thank God you haven't to wait until that day to know the cleansing of the precious blood. Why, that's what the gospel is all about. That's why Jesus died at Calvary's cross. That's why his heart was broken. He, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yes, my friend, Jesus died to put away your sin. He rose again to break its power in your life. He's coming back again to take you from the very presence of sin. If only you'll commit your life to him. But it demands something. It demands tonight that you come to him and that you confess your sins to him. You confess that you are a beaten, broken, baffled sinner. And the Bible says... Whosoever covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall find mercy. Will you come tonight and confess? Mind you, be careful how you confess. There's a man in the Bible called Pharaoh. He confessed his sin, but he confessed his sin just because of fear. And when the plagues that were destroying his land were halted by the divine intervention of Almighty God, he hardened his heart, and like a dog going back to its vomit, and a sow to its wallowing in the mire, he returned to his sin. There's another man in the Bible who confessed his sin. His name is Judas. Judas Iscariot. When he saw that he had betrayed innocent blood, he came and confessed his sin before the priest, and threw down the money that he had earned through betraying our blessed master, and he went and he hanged himself. That was a confession of remorse. Not just a confession of fearfulness, but of remorse. And somebody can confess his sin in remorse tonight and still go to a lost eternity. But there is another man mentioned in the Bible, and he draws my heart out tonight. We call him the prodigal son. His was not a confession of fear to be regretted. His was not a confession of remorse to be lamented. His was a confession of repentance, a confession of repentance. And he retraced those steps that took him into the far country, and he came back to the one that he had grieved, and he fell before his father's face and said, I have sinned before heaven and before thee. And in that lovely picture, we see him receiving the embrace of love and the kiss of forgiveness. 
Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall find mercy. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The Son of Man hath hour on earth to forgive sin. Will you come to him tonight? Will you cry from the depths of your heart? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst thee come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Lord, not carelessness. No, not after tonight. Not carelessness. I know that my sin will find me out. Lord, I come with confession and repentance, faith, obedience. Let us pray. We're going to have a moment or two of quiet. I'm going to ask God's intercessors here tonight, warriors of the cross, who know the solemn issues <clears throat> of these closing moments, to be much in prayer. I beg of you, young person, whoever you are, my dear professional friend here tonight, some executive, some couple, some younger person, if you are not absolutely sure of salvation tonight, if you don't know the experience and happiness of transgressions covered and sins forgiven, if you don't know what it is to have that guilt, that load of guilt rolled away, if you don't know what it is to have the power of sin broken in your life, if you don't know what it is to have your past cancelled out, then please, whoever else leaves this church tonight, don't you? Remain for a few moments of quiet counseling and prayer. It'll be the greatest joy of your pastor's heart, this preacher's heart, and those who serve with me to lead you into the calm and joy and peace of sins forgiven. God save anyone from going out of this place careless, because I want to tell you something. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can laugh at me. You can mock my message. You can shrug off the impact and importance of what I have said all the way home, but you won't alter the fact that your sin will find you out. There's a man in the Bible who stood in the temple courts at the time of the evening offering or the morning offering. And as he saw that blood pour from the slain lamb and he saw the animal laid upon the brazen altar, and knew the significance of that act of sacrifice. He would not as much as lift up his eyes to heaven. He was so broken and shameful about his sin. But he cried this prayer, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said that man went down to his house justified, just as if he'd never sinned. Justified. Will you pray that prayer tonight? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, hear the prayers that ascend to thee, and in thy grace and mercy, through the reconciling cross of Jesus Christ, thy Son, meet every true penitent. Make this a night of rejoicing, a night of salvation, a night of forgiveness. We ask it for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.